Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Today's Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Today's Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered... thought we did that twice, that would have been good. Some of you maybe needed it twice, so that was why that was happening, but it didn't happen. Well, hello, it's great to see you here. Hi, I want to say great to see you. My name is Howard. I just about did that. I'm a pastor here at Westminster Chapel, and everyone is welcome to our church. I want to start, though, by asking you a question. Is it possible? Is it possible for an atheist, feminist, lesbian, professor at a university who specializes in queer studies to become a follower of Jesus? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. And her name is Rosario Butterfield. And you can read her story in this extraordinary book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And she was a woman who wrestled on her journey to faith with a number of questions, with questions like, how can I square this idea of a good God with all of the evil, all the bad stuff in the world, suffering, injustice, poverty, racism, and how could this so-called good news about Jesus ever be good news for a person like me? Those questions were answered through a journey of acceptance that resulted in transformation through an amazing couple, um, Fred and uh, Ken and Floyd Smith, who, who loved this woman over time through their home. And this whole idea of acceptance and transformation is, is the first of four identity statements that we're going to talk about. We're in a series, we called it Both And, and that is because we're a church, we're the kind of church, if you're here in person or you're watching online, that is a kind of have your cake and eat it church. It's basically a, a both and church. Sometimes there are things which people think that they don't go together. You can be really like people, but to ever think that they could change, that would be rude. But we believe in acceptance and transformation coming together. We believe in the Bible being God's truth, and we believe in knowledge and growing in that, but we also believe in experience of the Spirit. These are things you're going to hear unpacked in this series. It's about the feel of Westminster Chapel. 
And these four identity statements came out of a listening exercise that we did as a church back in 2020, where we asked people, regulars in five online sessions, how would you describe Westminster Chapel? What's unique about us as a church? What made you want to come and stay and, and keep coming? And we summarized that into these four statements. And the first of those, obviously, is acceptance and transformation. What we mean by that, what people said about that was, it's, we are a place where you can come just as you are and be welcomed. But we don't want you to stay as you are. It's a place of authenticity. You can take the mask off. You can be real. You can be genuine here. But you are to be loved too much just to stay as you are. We believe that there is more for every person's life who comes through these doors. Hope for positive change. And it is this spirit-filled acceptance that resulted in the transformation of Rosario Butterfield. Let me read you a little bit of, of her story. It's a fascinating story. She says, the gospel's main point that Jesus will save me from my sins had no receptor point for the postmodern. That means that there's no real truth. Everything's true. Uh, you just decide it. No receptor point for the postmodern Rousseau abiding thinker. This is a kind of way of thinking about yourself, enlightenment thinking. I just need to go inside myself to work out what's my, what's my truth. What I needed, she says, and what I learned in the home of Ken and Floyd Smith was that I was an image bearer of a holy God. And such an identity came with responsibility as well as blessing. Weekly meals at the Smith house, followed by Bible study and meeting other Christians who did not fit the stereotype, forced me to question, to ask the question that would lead to my undoing. Am I a lesbian? Is lesbian who I am inherently, ontologically, really? Or is lesbian only how I feel now, descriptively? Loving listening. Graceful conversations. Persistence. Perseverance. Authentic, Christ-like friendship led to this woman's transformation. Are we surprised that it works? We shouldn't be, because it's the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. And if we as a church want to see hundreds of lives transformed, if you want your life to make a difference, if you want to live with real purpose and meaning and joy, if you want to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus, then we better learn how to do this whole acceptance and transformation thing. And where better to look and start than one of the greatest stories of acceptance and transformation in the Bible, you've just heard it read to you, the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. First century biography about Jesus recording this story written by Luke. He's a doctor, historian, come investigative journalist. You can trust what he is saying. And I'm going to make four points to you about this story. And they're all got the word story in them. <laughs> The first point is that this is a Jericho story. It's a Jericho story. Luke has already mentioned right at the end of chapter 18 that Jesus is on his way to Jericho. And then in verse 1 he says, all that's about to happen is happening in this place called Jericho. Now Luke doesn't always mention cities and towns. 
So there's something significant here about him drawing that to our attention and also something significant in the sovereignty of God orchestrating all the events to make sure they're happening, these particular events in this place called Jericho. Why Jericho? Because it takes us back to one of the earlier books in the Bible, to Joshua chapter 6, to the city of Jericho and particularly to the fortified garrison that people would have gathered to, to feel safe within its impregnable fortified walls that you could never break down by human power or strength. It was impossible. But if you know the Bible, you'll know that there's a story of the most, might be blasphemous to say, but sort of ridiculous military strategy of marching around it and then shouting really loud, here we are, kill us. But no, that results in the impossible happening, the walls coming, crashing down and victory. As you come into this story, you're meant to be thinking, it's a Jericho story. It's a story where nothing is impossible for God. And this is backed up by Luke chapter 18, if you go back, where Jesus has an encounter with this rich young ruler. And in verses 24 to 25, Jesus says there, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven to get saved than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, before I get into this, I've got to dispel the myth that is common out there that the eye of the needle is the name of a gate in Jerusalem. Sort of a, a real, that's just nonsense, sorry. No, no archaeological evidence for that. Sorry if I've burst into the bubble. Um, the point that Jesus is making is that it is harder, you probably saw this already, um, scaled down, model, courtesy of my son. I think maybe one in 50, mathematicians, you mathematicians, you can work that out. Still, it still has a little noise that it's making there, just thought I would give you that. And here is a needle. Now, I'm not quite sure if we've got the, the scale of the needle right, but we'll just go with this is the needle. Now, how is this camel going to get through the eye of that needle, right? So it, the whole point, what is Jesus saying here? It's impossible. <laughs> it can't be done. And what reaction does he get from the disciples immediately confirming this? Who then could be saved? Who could be saved? No one could be saved because that's not possible. And Jesus says, what is impossible for man is though possible for God. It is impossible for a hard-hearted, self-sufficient, money-worshipping, money-loving, money-obsessed person to ever get saved but God. It's impossible for anybody to get saved to become a Christian. Hello, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. No spiritual pulse whatsoever, even to choose God. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, made us alive. Nothing is impossible for God. And the point of that, I think, here is, therefore, it would be wrong to ever rule anybody out. They can't be saved. <laughs> and it's significant here because we have Jesus stopping and caring for a poor person and then a rich person. Right after the other, right, right back together. The end of chapter 18, he heals a blind beggar. Poor, blind beggar. But then he stops to care for a very rich man. Why am I 
laboring that point because I, I think sometimes we get the balance wrong <laughs> in different ways and quite often we think God cares about only the poor people and not the rich people. Well, he cares about both. <laughs> He's interested in everybody knowing and getting saved, right? And they both come together. So my point is don't rule anybody out. Nothing is impossible for God. No one is beyond his reach. That's the first point. It's a Jericho story. Are you believing that nothing is impossible for God when it comes to salvation? The second point is backstory. Are you looking beneath the surface of people's lives to look beyond how they simply present? In verses two to four, we get little insights about Zacchaeus. We're told some sort of interesting sort of facts about him. First, that he's a tax collector, but he's not just any old tax collector. He's the chief tax collector of this region which basically means that he made lots of money extorting money taxes from people and then was allowed to pass on whatever he wanted just as long as he paid enough for the Romans to keep them happy, the occupying force. So he got rich on other people's suffering against his own people. He was a traitor to his own kind. He would have been hated and also think he would have felt ashamed and alone. But his life would have been the envy of many because he was rich and he would have had a big home that was full of all the nice stuff that money can buy, but his heart was empty. Is he so different to people that you might know, that you live alongside, that you work alongside, who the scriptures say are suppressing the truth about God in their hearts. Deep down they know they need him. Consciously, subconsciously, but they are pretending that they can live without him. Next, Zacchaeus does something really rather abnormal. So it's quite unusual in a way because of this detail about him. He's a little bit small, so he, he does what? He climbs up a sycamore fig tree. This is one of those little moments, I can't resist it. I love these little details that are there in the gospel accounts. There actually were, archaeologists have shown, sycamore fig trees in Jericho in the first century at that time. Now, to know that little bit of detail, you actually had to be there to know that for sure, or to live in our age when we know this kind of historical archaeological detail, because archaeology is only, what, like 200 years old, really, as a discipline. So, so there's this big gap, so you couldn't sort of write like 500 years after. And this is, this is one of the amazing things that the Bible just consistently gets right. It gets the sort of the geography right, it gets this kind of detail uh, right, it gets the names right that you'd have in the first century in Palestine at that time. It doesn't have names like Frodo or Aragorn sort of randomly showing up in the text. It's accurate, it gives us confidence about what we're reading. Zacchaeus does something really quite remarkably strange. He climbs the sycamore fig tree and, uh, and Jesus notices don't he like that? He notices the abnormal. He spots him. Are you noticing? Are you noticing the unusual ways that people seek after joy and meaning and purpose in life as expressions of them really seeking after Jesus? There was this guy at university uh, I'm reminded of and he would wear these ridiculous clothes, like baggy clothes and 
and a t-shirt with like a yin-yang thing on the front of it. And he would go outside his sort of block of accommodation. There's a big sort of patch of grass over there, that, you know, uh, near it. And, and he would do these sort of sequences and forms of movements like this, of martial arts. Some just with his hands and his legs and all of that. And others with a weapon, with a staff, was do, doing it outside. And, and it turned out that his, his backstory was that he'd not long come back from Malaysia, where he'd been studying Tai Chi, this sort of martial art with the masters out there in Buddhist temples. And some of the Christians noticed this abnormal sycamore fig tree climbing-like behavior. And they said, that this, this guy's a bit different. Let's, let's talk to him. They started to pray for him. And he got saved. That was me. That was me. And that behavior really, I look back, it was a cry for help. I didn't know it at the time. It was a search for, is there anything deeper, any more meaning in life? Now, if you'd asked me at the time, I, I wouldn't know that. But, but looking back now, that's what we should be looking out for. Jesus saw and he noticed the unusual behavior. Are you? Are you looking at that? Even if people are looking in all the wrong places to find Jesus, they are searching for him, even if they're going to the wrong things to try and find him. That's something to be excited about, to recognize. Are you judging by the cover or are you looking below the surface to try and get a hold of people's backstory? The third point is your story. To really love the Zacchaeuses of the world, you have to own the fact that you are one. I wonder if you ever feel like you don't fit in in life. You know, that sort of awkward moment, don't really feel like you belong in school, at university, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in church. You don't belong in society even, even in the world. It's because really you were made for another one. And you feel lost. Zacchaeus felt lost. He was lost. He was lost. Like the lost coin. Like the lost sheep. Like the lost son. Luke chapter 15, only a few chapters ago. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can feel lost too. Since we slip back into this way of thinking and feel unnoticed, unwanted, rejected. Does God really care for me? Does he notice me? Does he see me? Jesus stops and he he sees Zacchaeus. And he sees you. But not only that, it's more than that. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Now, I've read a, quite a few commentaries in preparing for this message. Do you know what? Not one of them addresses this question How did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Have you ever thought about that? I'm like, that's the main question I'm coming really for you to answer. And they're like into these technical details and things like that. Like, come on, surely you've thought about that. Jesus was from Nazareth in the north. <laughs> you know, here we are, Zacchaeus, Jericho in the south. No newspapers as we know them today, no social media, no apps, none of that. Like, how did he know his name? 
It's because God had revealed it to him by the Holy Spirit in the place of heaven where every person's name, every image bearer's name is known, past, present, and future. This is amazing. It means God knows you by name. If you're watching at home, you're sat here. God knows you by name. He can call out your name in a moment. This is a wonderful truth. I was... Um, always, I'm always moved by this story by Mike Pilavachi. He um, is an evangelist and he was at a Soul Survivor event that his ministry ran for kids, hundreds if not thousands of kids and they're in this big top arena and he hears God speak to him about somebody who's, who's there present, uh, listening on and he says, there's, he said, God, God was whispering to me saying that there's, there's a guy here who's, who's been resisting me, who has been teasing his friends about issues of faith. He's been mocking all the proceedings that are going on. But for the first time in his life, he's just prayed for me. God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. Oh, and his name is Brian. Mike Pilavachi, in the best way that he does, stops the meeting. Says, I may have got this wrong. (laughs) Tells the word. Then says, Brian, if you're here, would you stand up and come forward? Immediately, he says, this kid called Brian, (laughs) sobbing his heart out, comes walking through to the front and his friends gather around and they pray for him. He's saved in that moment. And then get this, the next day at this big festival, thousands of kids, he's going around telling everybody he can meet. The reports are coming back saying this. And God knows me by name. (laughs) And he knows me by name. Such an amazing story. He knows me by name. This is the heart of God. I want to add here that Mike Pilavachi would say that he didn't know if he'd got that right. He really wasn't sure that he'd heard from God. It wasn't a booming voice that he heard. He says, God shouts at his enemies, but he whispers to his friends. Why does he whisper to his friends? So that we would take a step closer to him. And a step closer. Did you really say that? So we're, we're intimate with him. We're closer to God like that so that we would know him more. That's his way. And then there's a faith, a moment of boldness and courage that's needed to step out and say, I, I, it's just, I don't care about my reputation. I care about people knowing Christ. If I get it wrong, who cares? But if I get it right, wow. <laughs> to really move in that kind of way, we have to catch the heart of God with his love and his mercy. And you see it so evidently here in Jesus, his response to Zacchaeus. Jesus desperately wants Zacchaeus to be saved. So this, hurry down, Zacchaeus, hurry Get down. I, I want to meet with you. He says, you see the word must? I must come to your house today without fail. There's this urgency. I really want to know you. I really, wanna, I really want you to know me. That's the heart of God. And immediately he's criticized for it. <laughs> immediately they're grumbling. The religious people are saying, how dare he go to the home of this sinner, this tax collector? That's so wrong. But I tell you, Jesus loves the lost too much to care about what they think. He would be criticized, he would be mocked, he would be nailed to a cross, he would die to atone for all our Zacchaeus-like behavior, 
for all of our exploiting others, all of our turning against our own kind, our own people, to serve our own interests, all of our love of money and indifference to the poor, all of that stuff. Jesus died to cleanse us from it on the cross so that he can come and have fellowship in the home that is your heart. That is the heart of Christ. Zacchaeus did nothing to receive salvation. He just says, says he received Jesus joyfully. And I believe that's a picture of, of what's happening into his home, but to his heart. You don't earn salvation. Sometimes I think people are in danger of thinking like this. I was a good person before I got saved. Jesus has done well to get me on his team. Oh wow, this church now, now, now Westminster Chapel, oh, his, his best days are ahead of it because I'm part of this church now. Don't you know? <laughs> I'm, a good, I was, I'm a good person, right? If you think that way, you've completely misunderstood the gospel. In order to move with compassion and mercy for the Zacchaeuses who are out there, you have to recognize that you're a Zacchaeus yourself. You have to receive that kind of mercy and compassion to move in that to others. To receive though this, if you say yes to this, if you experience this compassion, it's joyful. Because he received it joyfully. It's wonderful. You feel secure. You feel safe. You, you feel like, I've got Jesus. I don't need anything else because I've got him and he's got me. And that's how, through that acceptance, transformation then starts to happen. Because I know I'm loved with a love that can't be broken. Nothing can separate me from it. I am safe. Therefore, I can do certain things that weren't possible for. I can let go of my need that I think I have for money because I've got Jesus and I trust him now. Now that happens progressively for a lot of people. But here it happened immediately, instantly. And it can happen instantly, immediately for, for people here, even in this room online right now. That sense of acceptance makes you feel so secure, like it did for Zacchaeus. He said, I'll give away half of what I've got to the poor. He's so touched by the compassion that he's received. He's feeling God's heart and compassion for others who don't have what he had. Not only that, he wants to make amends for all the wrongs that he's done by taking too much money where he shouldn't have. And he says, I'll do that, not one times, two times, three times, but four times, like an abundant restoration of making good all the wrongs that he's done. It's, it's extraordinary. He became loved too much to stay as he was. Real repentance that brought fruit in keeping with repentance that results in Jesus saying that he's a true son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith, for whom his faith, his belief, was credited to him as righteous. Your story. The fourth final point is God's story. The invitation to seek and save the lost. In verse 10, we get that amazing summary. Why did God come? What's his mission? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus challenged 
the religious types of his day by befriending the broken and offering them God's acceptance. And we're invited, you're invited to join that story. The greatest privilege in the world because it's the greatest story that's ever been told. It's a bit like you get cast in the chosen. (laughs) What a privilege. You're in the chosen. Series 2022. (laughs) How, How do we do that? What does it look like? Well, it means offering acceptance to those who are typically rejected, welcoming everyone. And we do that through here hosting teams and our hospitality teams, refreshments and coffee. We do it through our lunches. We do it through the New Acre Cafe. We do it through loads of other ministries, children's work and, and the tech guys at the back who enable all of this to happen. So my question is, could you get involved in some of those ministries, please? It's really hard right now to have enough people serving in them regularly, consistently. It really help us if you could. But we also do this. We offer acceptance through BSL signing, through our life groups that meet, for long seasons and then become courses. Have you signed up for one, by the way? We do it through listening to people. We do it through noticing We do it through stopping and showing that we care and that actually God cares and he sees them, that they're precious, that they're an image bearer and they matter. We do it through being courageous enough to be still, to hear God whisper and stepping out in faith, to share a word even if it would make us look like a failure. We do it through persevering and not giving up, inviting people into our homes, and even inviting ourselves into theirs. Jesus, he's the true shepherd, the good shepherd. He's prophesied, Ezekiel 34, 35, Psalm 23 is this. And he says in this passage, today, salvation has come. Salvation has come. The good shepherd seeks to save the lost, to bring salvation. He leaves the 99 sheep who think they are safe, who don't feel lost, to go after the one sheep who's lost. That's the mission of Jesus, to seek and save the lost. But we think of salvation, this idea, today salvation has come. Oh, he's got his ticket for heaven now. We've got this like narrow view of salvation when it's like, whoa, it's this big. And Luke's trying to make this point throughout his, his first century biography, his gospel, There are lots of different stories where this Greek word salvation, to save, is included. So it's Luke to 6. The healing of a man with a withered hand. It's about salvation. Luke chapter 8. The raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. It's about salvation. Luke chapter 17, the cleansing of the lepers, salvation. Luke chapter 18, the healing of a man born blind, that the blind beggar, it's about salvation. All these passages are about salvation. They're trying to tell us that God's salvation is huge. It's enormous. He's coming to save. That is to undo all the work of evil and injustice and suffering and brokenness in this world. Everything that the curse of sin has ruined, salvation is coming to restore. And so you start to understand the significance of this story about Zacchaeus. 
and the righting of wrongs there, this abundant fourfold restoration, that's salvation. That's what God is coming to do. When Jesus comes again, all will be restored with a fourfold plus glorious new beauty where there'll be no evil or sin in the world. And that day is coming. Where Christians who suffer now, as we've heard, will suffer no more. Where Christians who cry now will belly laugh with joy in that future world. But our calling, our job, is the lives that are so transformed because of the acceptance that we have received that they point to that reality. That they show everybody there's this new eternity, there's this new world that's there, that's glorious without sin, sickness, and suffering. That that's what matters. We're not living now for this life. We want to show you about that world that is to come, that as many people will come with us on that journey. You've got to work out how this works out for you. I'm not trying to judge or condemn any people. And I don't think I'm trying to be arrogant. I was on a track of law, getting back into the legal profession, uh, cross-qualified as a solicitor. I could probably earn more than double my salary if I'd have stayed on that track. And I would have a really nice house. Maybe I'd have two, <laughs> one by the sea. And I'd have a really cool car, not a Nissan Note that, you know, it's meant to be driven by elderly people and all of this sort of stuff that's run down. Oh, anyway, uh, and uh, all that sort of stuff. And, and at least we'd have a garden and all of that. You know, we, we'd be living that kind of life. But I, I feel it a privilege to serve God here, to seek and save the lost in Westminster and London. It's not a sacrifice. It's a privilege to do that. That I might have many Zacchaeuses to meet who will get saved and come to faith. What about you? What about you? Today, salvation is coming to this house, to your heart. Let me ask you a very important question. If you were to die today, do you know with absolute certainty that you would go to be in the presence of God in paradise with him forever. Might just be the most important question that anybody's ever asked you. Jesus is doing what he did to Zacchaeus. I am here. <laughs> can I come to your house, your heart? Will you let me in? <laughs> I can bring joy like nothing in this world. Will you receive him? It's as simple as that. Will you humble yourself? Stop trying to live in your own strength. Recognize that you've been sinful, just like Zacchaeus did. And throw yourself upon the mercy of Jesus be the best decision that you ever made. Today, salvation is coming to this house, to Westminster Chapel. As we persevere, as we listen, as we get curious, as we step out in faith, as we persevere in loving and accepting others today and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Salvation in its broadest, most glorious, 
glorious sense. Yes, people coming to faith, but healings, breakthroughs, deliverances, transformations, cleansings. Coming to this place as we seek to step up and be the church, to live the church, as we seek to accept others, as we say nothing is impossible for God, no one is beyond his reach, I will not simply accept how people present. I will look for the backstory. I will trust that God might even speak to me about that. I will keep living as myself, as Zacchaeus, in the experience of, oh, how he loves me. And I will seek to step into God's story and be on mission with him to seek and save the lost. For that is why I am here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you came to seek and save the lost. Lord, we recognize we were lost. We were like Zacchaeus, without hope, desperately trying to get by with our own thinking, our own ideas. But Lord, we thank you that you came and you reveal a God who's more merciful than we could ever dream possible. Help us to experience your acceptance and love right now. Take us deeper. Draw us closer. Help us to know how loved, cherished, and precious we are. That you see each one of us. That you know each one of us by name. That you invited yourself into our hearts to save us. And Lord, pour out your spirit that we might be able to move with that same love, that same acceptance, that same mercy and compassion to many others around us. Help us to start noticing. Help us to start seeing the people in our lives who are searching for you in all sorts of different and crazy and abnormal ways. And help us to meet them and love them and minister to them just like Ken and Floyd Smith did to Rosario Butterfield. And we pray that in the years ahead, we would be a church full of atheist, feminist, lesbian professors and way more, giving glory to what you've done amongst us. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.